Good evening. Goodbye forever by Nakchang Rinpoche. Chapter 4, Part 3 The first time I heard the bass, I knew it was my instrument. It sounded as if it came out of the ground like an earthquake. The sound was substantial and created shapes and colours in the room which were almost physical. Mark let me play his bass one day and it loomed large in my mind ever after. In 64, Steve's Uncle Stan drowned on a sailing holiday in the Mediterranean. Uncle Stan played in Mr Bruce's amateur jazz band. He was the bass player, and so all Uncle Stan's guitars ended up at the Bruce residence. He'd had a Gibson EBO and a Hagstrom Coronado 6, a six-string bass. The Hagstrom was a marvellous instrument, but by no means attractive, to me at least. The manufacturer had obviously been unable to run to the production of all the required metal parts, and so the switching appeared to have been gleaned from domestic appliances. It therefore resembled a washing machine. Steve's aesthetics were entirely different from mine, so he saw none of the Hagstrom's abominable qualities. See what you mean, Vic, but the switches are all so crisp and definite. They're quick to find when you're playing too, because they're so large, and it's very fine workmanship. Uncle Stan was a perfectionist, you know, and this was his favourite bass. I prefer that Gibson EBO. It looks like the guitar Batman would have played, especially because it's black. I love black guitars. I like black guitars too. Yes, I pondered. They're all black, aren't they? Even your father's Rickenbackers and Fender Precision Bass. That's because my dad's jazz band is called the Dixons, you see. They were all policemen, apart from Uncle Stan, and he had his bass guitars black too, so that he'd match. They're called the Dixons, like Dixon of Doc Green. Yes, it's a joke name. That's wonderful, I chuckled. Never thought I'd know a parent who'd use a joke name for something. Although, I think that the Trevelyans might have done something like that. The Trevelyans? Ah, now I was in a slight fix. I'd not intended to refer to Alice, but I was suddenly struck with having to explain myself. Yes, I had a girlfriend called Alice Trevelyan when I was at infant school, but she moved to Herefordshire and, well, I never saw her again after that. You started early, Steve grinned, and finished early too. But Hereford's not Tasmania, you know. Why did moving to Hereford stop you seeing her? Because... I began with a lump in my throat, even after the better part of half a decade. 
My father didn't want me having a girlfriend. Her parents said they'd invite me to stay, but it just never happened. They never wrote. Not as far as I know. They probably did, but I was never told. The bastard, Steve groaned. That was extreme coming from Steve, because he almost never swore. Steve had met my father, and it was loathing at first sight. He stayed one weekend at my home, but never wanted to repeat the experience. His parents understood the situation and were perfectly happy to have me stay there without return visits. The bloody bastard, Steve reiterated, looking a little sheepish at the sudden intrusion of the idea that his parents might have overheard him. Well, yes. My mother says that he had reasons that were too complicated to explain, but that he meant it for the best. What? Steve exclaimed with indignation. What was that supposed to mean? I think it had something to do with the Trevelyans having money or something, or a lot more money than we have, and I suppose there was some kind of problem about that. My mother said that she could understand his thinking and that I might have ended up being unhappy or something, but anyway, I interjected to dissemble. We were talking about the joke name of your dad's jazz band. Steve detected that I'd rather not take the subject of Alice any further. Right, yes, it's a double joke too, and really quite clever. Apart from my uncle, they're all policemen, that's one part. And the other part is that they play Dixieland jazz. Even better, I laughed. That's really good. I like that kind of thing with words. I try to double up meanings when I write poetry. That's brilliant. It's like the Beatles, which has the word beat in it. I think all the best names are like that. You know, I continued as a non-secretary, I really like that Gibson EBO. But it's only a single pickup bass. I mean, so was the Fender Precision. That's why my father had it modified. Then after he'd modified, he had it painted black, professionally. That Gibson EBO is a bit of a thumper for jazz, which is why my Uncle Stan got the Hagstrom. My father did offer to modify it for him, but he said he'd rather have a long-scale bass anyway. Why's that? Well, you get far more sustain with the long scale. It's much better. Well, unless you want to bend notes, and then the short scale is better. Ah, then it's the short scale I want, because there's a lot of note bending in blues. You don't think there's any chance of me buying that EBO? I don't know, I can ask, but it's probably not something my dad would sell because it belonged to his brother and, well, he's not been dead that long. Then Steve's brother Mark turned 17 and obtained his first car. He lost interest in music overnight. Motor car racing became his obsession and Steve inherited all the bass guitars. Steve was enraptured, and so was I. 
even though I had no guitar myself. It suddenly got more guitars than you could shake a stick at. The Bruces were a musical family. Mrs Bruce was more or less a concert pianist. She was mainly interested in classical and baroque and played all kinds of marvellous pieces. I wished my father had some interest in playing music. I thought it would have helped him be less angry about the world and everything in it. I knew he'd have been shocked if he'd known that Mr Bruce was a jazz aficionado who played electric guitar, so I said nothing about it. I had my eye glued on that Gibson EBO. The idea of it dominated everything when I was in its vicinity, but Steve was not sure that buying it was possible. His parents would have to agree. We talked together about ways and means, including the idea of weekly payments. I chopped wood, mowed lawns and ran errands for neighbours, so I knew I could earn at least a pound a week. It had been his uncle's guitar, however, and Mr Bruce was very close to his brother. They'd shared an interest in jazz that went back a long way. They'd even thought of turning professional at one time, but that was not the thing to do if you wanted a family life. It struck me then that sacrifice was required if you wanted to be a bluesman. I decided that I was up for that. And anyhow, all that workaday business used up all the time you'd otherwise have for playing music. Maybe if I found Alice again, it would be different. But without Alice, the idea of marriage made no emotional sense. Steve eventually mentioned to his parents that I loved the Gibson EBO, and they surprised him by saying that they would be happy to sell it, as I was a friend and would be playing it with him. They said that I could have it and the Vox bass amplifier for £50. I thought of just about everything I could think of to enable me to take possession of that guitar. I considered the idea of having that EBO stand in for every birthday and Christmas present for the rest of my life, but it was not to be. It proved impossible even though the Bruces were kind enough to offer to sell it for much less than it was worth. After a weekend in which they observed me fooling around on the EBO, they could see I practically worshipped the thing. I was their son's best friend, and Steve preferred his father's Fender Precision Bass, so I think they felt moved to put me on par with Steve. It must have seemed as if I was always playing second fiddle, sans fiddle. They wrote a letter to my parents the Monday following that weekend to offer the guitar for sale. But my father wouldn't have an electric guitar in the house, even if I bought it in instalments with my own money. My father eventually found out that Mr Bruce played guitar. He evidently found it perplexing that a policeman would play in a jazz band even as a recreational pursuit. But although he'd said nothing offensive about it, it didn't change his mind about anything. 
He must have slotted Mr. Bruce and Jazz into two separate conceptual compartments because I was still allowed to go and stay with the Bruces for weekends. The Bruces grew more affectionate to me after that event and went out of their way to make sure I had a good time. Being around guitars was all the good time I needed and so I made the most of any musical opportunity that presented itself. Mr Bruce asked me what kind of music I liked and was surprised when I said Big Bill Brunsey, Robert Johnson, Lead Belly, Bessie Smith, Memphis Minnie, Ma Rainey and Big Mama Thornton. He thought that music was quite old and was surprised that a young person would like it. It's my favourite music, I explained, but I also like Bach and the Beatles. Mr Bruce found that an intriguing mixture. The Bruces had a stereogram, a six-foot cabinet with a speaker at each end, and whatever you played on that thing sounded better than anything I had ever heard before. On a thing like that, I could listen to Midnight in Moscow, and it became captivating, even though I didn't particularly like the trumpet. I had trumpets pegged as military instruments. My father liked military band music, and so I had some degree of prejudice against anything of that nature. I did like the way the music swelled up in that number, though, and told Mr Bruce that it was the best part of Midnight in Moscow. I enjoyed hearing Mrs Bruce on piano, and wished that we still had a piano in our house. She played me Bach pieces and modern composers like Eric Satie. It was amazing to me that such different kinds of music existed and that you could like them all. What my father had told me was definitely untrue. You could like Bach and blues. Mrs Bruce appreciated the fact that I enjoyed Bach. She saw it as a good influence on Steve because he was far more interested in his father's jazz. Having pestered for a guitar since the age of seven and having been denied an extremely reasonable deal on the Gibson EVO and amplifier at the age of nine, the death of Mr Love and the loss of his blues bequest finally prompted lenience toward a guitar entering the moral bastion of our home. I finally got a guitar for my 11th birthday. It was plastic. The neck and frets were mould cast and it had four strings. The strings were tuned by pegs that slipped and the strings were not even strings. They were hollow lengths of plastic that didn't even sound like nylon strings. It was evidently made to make no sound, so that a child could pretend to be playing along with something without making the sound of the guitar intruding. It was a toy. It was called the Skiffle Junior and had a picture of a fellow with a quiff who could have been modelled on Elvis Presley. 
The shape into which the paper illustration had been inserted showed other models too, boasting an image of Mickey Mouse. I was aghast, but had to look grateful and pleased. I had to look pleased even though the word skiffle meant watered down blues, but my father had no way of knowing that. Skiffle was one of those attempts to repackage black music for white audiences. And even at the age of seven, I'd wanted no part of that. Whenever I touched that plastic guitar, I could see Big Bill Brunsey sneering at it from wherever he was. My future as a bluesman was not looking wonderful. Steve Bruce had a real guitar. He'd received lessons since he was five. I'd have been content with the very worst second-hand, low-end instrument. Naturally, I wasn't inspired to play this plastic apology for a musical instrument, and that was taken as sure proof that a real guitar would have been wasted on me. Steve was quite angry about the plastic guitar and told his parents about it. He told me they seemed a little upset on my behalf and that he'd heard them talking in the kitchen after he'd gone to bed. They'd talked about simply giving me the Gibson EBO, but they decided that they couldn't give it to me against my father's wishes. They'd then had another idea. They'd give it to me once I was 18, because then, legally, I'd be an adult and there'd be no problem with their giving it to me as a birthday present. I was not supposed to know this, but the deal was sealed. Seven years and it would be mine. That didn't seem so far away. I'd be going to Netherfield Secondary School in a matter of months, and when that was over, it would be well in sight. And tomorrow we'll start chapter five, Oracles and Demons.